Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, July 24th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, some Mississippi airports are getting safety upgrades for passengers and residents of Mississippi communities. Find out how. Then we'll hear the latest in special education law from Mississippi students. I want to do everything in my power for her to meet her God-given potential. So don't forget about the special education students. They want to be a part of our communities. And meet Miss Mississippi 2018 Asia Branch. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's local airports are receiving more than $6.3 million in federal grants to make infrastructure and safety improvements. Fifteen locations will benefit from the Federal Aviation Administration funds. They say the improvements are much needed for the locations and the communities where they're located. Macaulay Whitaker is Chief Operating Officer at the Golden Triangle Development Link in Columbus. She says the investment in the Golden Triangle Regional Airport will benefit the region. The Golden Triangle Regional Airport from, has uh, terminal expansion and safety equipment acquisitions planned for the grant money. Um, of course, we are thrilled to see any continued investment in assets like GTRA for us. They are a major partner um, in the continued development of our region. And anytime one of your regional assets is able to expand and improve their offerings, it expands and improves our offerings as well in economic development. Industry. Give us an idea of what the industry is like in the Golden Triangle area. We've got a diverse offering of industry in the Golden Triangle, and then that is by design. We've got aerospace, pulp and paper manufacturers. Uh, we've got steel manufacturer here, as well as a number of other uh, automotive-associated manufacturers. So we we have a number of these, all of which um, rely on the Golden Triangle Regional Airport in a number of different ways. And so, again, continued investment in GTRA is certainly good for our existing employers here, um, even those that are not directly related to manufacturing. And it's also good for future recruitment. So it's a win-win on both sides. Golden Triangle Development Link, COO, Macaulay Whitaker. Mike Hainsey is executive director at the Golden Triangle Regional Airport. He says the funding will go towards an expansion. The uh, funding is in part for the expansion we have uh, that starts next month. It's a $1.8 million expansion of the terminal, uh, adding about 5,000 square feet of uh, waiting space. Uh, our flights have been running full. Our average uh, load factors for the last couple of months have been running in the mid to not, uh, mid-90s, so 92 95% load factors mean basically the flights are full. Well, we need to make sure that we have enough capacity as, as uh, the airlines grow and as our travel grows for people to you know, use the airport without being uh, jammed against each other. Wes Kirkpatrick is the airport manager at the Monroe County Airport. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the funds will help them replace equipment for which they could no longer get parts. 
I believe this year's grant uh, with this year's entitlement and some rollover was 198000 so that'll be 90% of our proposed project. We'll put up 5% match, and the state will put up 5% match, and that's to go towards uh, PAPI, uh, which is a precision approach path indicator, and it's just a visual guidance that uh, helps pilots acquire the correct approach into an airport to guarantee obstacle clearance. It's a safety improvement. So this is going to make a big difference for people flying in and out? Correct. It, well, it's vital that we continue to get airport improvement program money, or AIP money, which is our entitlement money, because uh, without that, we wouldn't. the county could not justify putting that kind of money in on needed improvements at the airport. So it's vital that the FAA continues to uh, fund airports like ours with that entitlement money. Monroe County Airport Manager Wes Kirkpatrick. Calhoun County, the Clarksdale, Oklahoma County Airport, and the Greenwood LaFleur Airports are among some of the others receiving FAA funding. Coming up, we'll hear the latest in special education law for Mississippi students. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Can't get to a radio? Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi advocates for children with special needs are working to improve the education system. The Coalition for Citizens with Disabilities held its fourth special education law conference on Monday. The group, representing 23 organizations, is teaching Mississippians about special education laws and ways to find legal representation if a family member is in need. They say children with special education needs can have a hard time getting the services they require. Pam Dollar is executive director of the Coalition for Citizens with Disabilities. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood why they're working to teach Mississippi parents and legal professionals. We came together in our state to like mobilize all the different disability groups to push for the passage of the, of the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which of course got passed the next year in 1990. Um, and then in 2006, our organization wrote for a grant from the U.S. Department of Education to uh, provide funding to create a parent center for for Mississippi, and it's the Mississippi Parent Training and Information Center. And um, we provide training and information and support to families who have children with disabilities across the state. It's a statewide project. So talk about the conference. One of the big purposes for this conference is to build legal capacity in our state for, you know, representation for parents. Are we not looking at those with disabilities as equals? Are we not helping them equally? Kind of talk about how you feel about that. The Individuals with Disabilities Education Act um, ensures or should ensure that students with disabilities receive an appropriate education. Of course it's, you know, their education has to be more specialized because their needs are specialized. Um, Many times um, parents and school districts, well if you look at the stats for our state, um, the graduation rate for students with disabilities is way lower than it is for the general population. I mean you would expect it to be a little bit lower, right? But 
you have to think about half of our students who have IEPs in the state of Mississippi, which means they qualify for special education services, half of those either have a specific learning disability like uh, dyslexia or something along those lines, or they have just are receiving special ed services for speech articulation or you know some kind of speech or language problem. And so our graduation rate should be much higher than it is. And our State Department of Education is working on that, but there are times when the school district and the parent disagree on what is appropriate. You know, because the, you know, the law says, you know, they should be provided an appropriate education. That's a, that's a subjective term. And so sometimes there is disagreement. And that's when the legal, you know, the legal issues come in is what, you know, if the school district thinks one thing's appropriate, parent thinks no, another thing's appropriate. And then they have to work those issues out. They have to work together and work those out. We try really hard, you know, to go in and help parents we many times in IEP meetings serve as mediators ourselves, you know, to, you know, to try to help the school district and parent come to an agreement. But then there comes those times when there's just, they cannot, you know, there's, they're just at an impasse. And so they have to let an independent third party, which would be a hearing officer under IDEA, decide what is appropriate. So, so what are some things that you hope will come from the trainings today and just the continued effort of the coalition? So I hope that the the parents who are here will learn more about their children's rights and become empowered to feel more confident when they walk into a meeting with school district people. Many times parents walk in the room, there's like, you know, there may be 10 people at the meeting and it may be just a mom and her husband and if it's a single mom, it may just be mom, and then there's all these school district people, and they feel so intimidated. But, you know, being empowered through knowledge can help them feel, you know, not be so intimidated walking into those meetings and feel more confident to speak up for what their child needs. I also hope one of the outcomes is that we do get a few attorneys who decide to, you know, begin to practice in this field. Why do you think it's not a lot of attorneys practicing in that field? Well, one of the issues is when the school district hires an attorney, they pay for the attorney with the taxpayer dollar, school district, you know, funds. If parents hire an attorney, they have to pay for it. And so, as you can imagine, parents who have children with disabilities already are tapped out financially because of all their child's needs, you know, maybe medical needs or whatever that might be. And so they, uh, you know, it's very difficult for them to... They just don't have a lot of money to hire attorneys, and so that's why. But one of the things the attorneys today that are, you know, the the presenters today are going to talk about, because they do practice special education law in their state. They represent parents, and um, they take cases on what most people think of as contingency or attorney's fees as awarded, I think, and I'm probably saying that wrong because I'm not an attorney. But they, they have figured out how to do it without it you know, and, and be able to recover their fees, you know, if they win the case. And so we hope that they can teach some of, some of the attorneys here today how they can do that in Mississippi, and they would, you know, and then we can, like I said, build legal capacity. Pam Dollar is the executive director of the Coalition for Citizens with Disabilities. Thank you so much, Pam. Thank you. Molly Miller's daughter, Savannah, was diagnosed with autism. She tells our Ashley Norwood her daughter had experienced delays and a misdiagnosis before Miller and her husband adopted her. I have spent the last 
three and a half, four years of making sure we get her all the therapies, um, you know, the right, uh, get into the right, um, whether it be private school, public school, um, early intervention. We do music therapy. We do um, horse therapy. We do everything. And so really just trying to figure out how much of her um, her learning issues are related to adoption, are related to the chromosome, the genetic uh, condition that she has, autism or are they just the you know a child she's six years old um that is guesstimated because she came from an orphanage so she's small she she honestly looks like she's about four she just finished um the little lighthouse which is a wonderful um developmental school for children with special needs um here in jackson and she is starting Rankin County Public Schools in a couple of weeks. So is her disability mostly cognitive or is it physical as well? Well, um, she did have, it, it is, it, she does have some cognition issues. She's nonverbal right now. And so I think that is probably our biggest hurdle is she's trying to talk. She's making sounds. She's using a communication device. So we've just started that. So she's able to start telling me when she wants to eat or when she wants to drink. Um, her gross motor skills um, were there were deficits, but that's probably the least of her issues now. She walks. Um, she's not quite running or hopping, um, but uh, her issues are more fine motor skills, um, her communication, um, and really trying to figure out um, how much does she understand. We know she, we know she, her receptive is is getting better and better. So now we're working on her expressive language disorder. So talk about why it's so important as a parent to know um, disability laws and um, just rights for your child. Well, because you're entering into a world that has its own language and it has its own rules and how to do things and trying to figure out how do you get what's best for your child. Um, I am an attorney, but um, I do criminal law. I'm actually a prosecutor. I'm a special assistant attorney general. And so this was way outside of my field of expertise. So I'm here for multiple reasons. Number one, to make sure I can advocate for my child. I'm her number one. But also, there will be a day when, um, when I can retire from state government. And so I have been asked by many parents, and I see the need for special, special education lawyers um, to help with the, the issues that they have with the school systems. And then also with um, special needs trusts. Um, children that have special needs, you can't just write a will. You have to do a special needs trust. So I'm just starting to... Um, you know, come to some of these conferences and trainings to see if maybe this, um, when I'm able, this may be an area of law that I can move in. Any other thoughts? Um, you know, money is always an issue and lack of. Um, but I really encourage um, our school systems and our legislatures, don't forget about our kids that have got special needs. They have so much to give. Um, I have seen her blossom in the last four years. And um, I want to do everything in my power for her to meet her God-given potential. Um, so don't forget about the special education students. They have a place, um, and they want, they want a place. Um, they want to be a part of our communities. All right, Molly Miller, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. The Mississippi Coalition for Citizens with Disabilities lists information about special education laws and legal representation on its website at mscd.org. Coming up, meet Miss Mississippi 2018, Asia Branch. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Can't stick around for the rest of the show? You can always catch up by logging on our website at mpbonline.org or use the MPB Public Media app on your mobile device. This is MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Boonville native, Mrs. Native Asia Branch is Miss Mississippi 2018. The University of Mississippi student entered the pageant as Miss Tupelo before coming out on top. She says she participated in the Miss Mississippi pageant three times, and the third time was the charm. Branch is promoting a platform that encourages tenacity through difficult situations. She tells us about her initiative and her journey to the crown. My very first year, I had just graduated high school, turned 18 a month before the pageant, and I placed 11th out of 44, came back last year and placed 4th, and then came this year. And and, and here you are. Here I am. <laughs> Miss Mississippi for the next year. When is the pageant in Atlantic City? It is September the 9th. What do you have to do to prepare for that? It's, it's very similar to preparing for the state pageant, but a little more intense. So... I believe there's always room for improvement, and I'm ready to improve on my interviewing skills and my on-stage question talent. Talent this year is counting 50% at Miss America. I'm a vocalist, and so I'm so excited to continue to improve on my vocal ability. That is half the competition. I'm surprised. I would think that if they were going to increase a category, it would be in the interview process. Well, since they've taken swimsuit out... They're adding more of an interview kind of style, so the on-stage question, and they'll have a final conversation on stage. And so there is a lot of interview aspect in there now. It's pretty much um, interview, on-stage question, and talent. We do still have evening wear, but, you know, they're really focusing on you as a person and not your outward appearance. What are you going to sing? I'll be singing The Impossible Dream. That's tough vocally. Yes, and I'm so thrilled. It's something I've wanted to sing for a while, and why not sing it on the Miss America stage? You didn't sing it for the Miss Mississippi title? I did not. What did you sing? I sang One Moment in Time. Oh, you have good choices, certainly. (laughs) What don't we see? What happens before the televised version? There are preliminary nights, and so each night a different group competes in a different phase of competition. I am number two in the Mew group this year, and so I will have interview Tuesday morning, and I will have onstage question Wednesday. I will have uh, evening wear on Thursday and talent on Friday, and all of that happens, and then you get your top two. When the pageant is live. Are the top 10 already selected? Yes. We don't know who they are. What is your platform? My platform is Finding Your Way, Empowering Children of Incarcerated Parents. How did you settle on that? Well, I've been the child of an incarcerated parent for half of my life, and I always wondered why this happened, and because I feel like there's a purpose for everything, and I couldn't figure out the reasoning behind this, and I finally had the opportunity to find my purpose, and that is to be the voice for the unheard and to empower these children who've gone through similar circumstances as myself and know that they can defy the odds and that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Did you establish a relationship with the person who's incarcerated? Oh, yeah. My dad has been 
my best friend and my hero my whole life. So is is that uh, I asked that because I was thinking the program is about getting the kids with their parent or or loved one who's behind bars, but it's it's empowering them to be independent and to succeed despite succeed that. despite the circumstances. I see. Yes. How do you achieve that? Well, I've come to realize that sharing my story makes a big impact because I'm always so positive and I don't think people realize the hardships that I've been through. And so to be able to share my story with others and let them see all that I've overcome and all that I've achieved, it gives them that sense of hope and inspiration that they too can do the same thing regardless of their background. How old were you when your father went into prison? Ten years old. Did you feel guilt or anger or loss or combination? It was of all a combination of, that? of everything. I was so confused and lost. And, and, you know, I couldn't understand. I couldn't fathom what was going on. And I was kind of angered because I wondered why. Why is this happening? Why is my family being destroyed? What good is going to come from this? And it just—it was really upsetting because my whole life changed. He was our rock of our family and our main source of income, and for that to be just ripped away suddenly, there was no warning. It just happened. I didn't know that when I left for school that morning, that would be the last time I saw him for over three years, and so it was a really tough situation. It was hard on my family. Um, financially and emotionally. And you can show that you came out the other side in pretty good shape. Yes. What led you into this contest for three times? Well, I kind of fell into it my first year. I'm the only one in my family that's ever really done pageants. And my mom and I came across the Outstanding Teen Pageant, one of the locals for it. And Was that your first pageant? I was filling out the paperwork and realized that I was not eligible for teen at that point because I was a senior in high school, so I had to do Miss. And I placed it my first local and then won the second one that I competed in, and that was my ticket to Miss Mississippi. I had done beauty reviews, just simple evening wear throughout my school years, but I'd never actually done a pageant with all of these phases of competition. And so... I was just going, I was getting my feet wet, and I was so thrilled and excited to be able to experience and have the opportunity to compete at Miss Mississippi. You're from Boonville, but you are Miss Tupelo. Well, yes. you were Miss Tupelo, and now yes. you're Miss Mississippi. There's, there's not a Miss Boonville, and Tupelo is the closest one to home. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, yeah, so I placing 11th my very first year, being the youngest contestant, it gave me that sense of hope that this is a possibility. I could do something with this. And it it gives you a platform and something to work towards, something to advocate for. And I've gained so much from competing the past three years. I'm so thankful for every single year that I've competed in this organization because it's taught me something new. You are a student at the University of Mississippi? Yes. Are you taking a year off from school? Yes, you have to take a year off with this job. It is a full-time job. And, um, I mean, of course it's nice to have a break from school and be able to be Miss Mississippi. It's truly an honor. And so I'll be thrilled to return back to school in a year. But All right, you said this is a full-time job. Give us an idea of what your schedule is going to be like from well, here on out. My, <laughs> There's so much that goes into scheduling. I don't even make my own schedules. Someone does that for me because there's just so much to keep in track and online. And I get it week by week as to what I'm doing every hour of the day. And it is a full-time job. Sundays are my pretty relaxed day. I do get to go to church and just you know, relax some. There are some things that still have to be done, but it's not as chaotic. But each day is a full day, and I'm here. 
I'm just going with the flow. I'm and you are here it. in your tiara, your crown. Do you refer to it as a crown or tiara? Crown. Your it's crown it. and your sash. So that's that's part of your official ensemble. Yes. You have to wear it all the time. I don't have to, but. I enjoy wearing it. You know, if <laughs> I'm going I to be too, here yeah. as Miss Mississippi, I want to be here fully as Miss Mississippi. Crown, sash, and smile. <laughs> <laughs> well, Asia Branch is Miss Mississippi. We wish you the best moving forward Thank into you. Atlantic City and the Miss America pageant. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Hear this conversation again whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.